0: I actually kind of enjoyed driving to work today, which is a pretty radical statement for me, because I hate commuting. You know, just sitting in the car and traffic and all that. And, you know, certainly since the pandemic and going to a hybrid schedule, I haven't had to do it five days a week. But even three days a week uh, can be a hassle. In fact, you, you're less used to it. You know, you kind of numb yourself. I mean, whoever thought about not, not showing up at the office uh, before... March of 2020 uh, altered all our lives. Um, But the reason is there was no traffic today. You know, we're in that week between Christmas and New Year's, I guess a whole lot of people have bailed from the nation's capital. And so it just became one of those days when not only was I not hitting all the usual traffic, but I hit every green light. There were good songs on Sirius XM. uh, So I was just, you know, zipping around. But then I realized, well, maybe some of those people are the ones uh, who are stranded at the various airports uh, with the total meltdown, particularly on Southwest, that is still continuing. And I had to feel some sympathy for them. I don't know that there's an exact correlation. A lot of these other people could just have made it or maybe they just got in the car and drove to uh, visit family, which you can do if your family is not 3,000 miles away. Um, and I want to come back later in the podcast to the, the snow and the travel and so forth, because it really is an unbelievable story. Unbelievable. Uh, on a sad note, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who is on the uh, Oversight Committee, uh, disclosed he has a serious but curable form of cancer. Uh, he went out and gave a bunch of interviews and said that uh, I expect to be worked through this period. Um, but uh, you know, he also has to monitor that he's not pushing himself too hard. So, like anybody battling a disease, you know he wants to do his job, and at the same time, you know, when you're a Congressman, you can't hide that kind of stuff. But when you are a congressman-elect, can you hide this kind of stuff? I, I don't mean disease, and I don't mean to make, uh, make it into a funny transition, because um, I just you know what's coming next. And the fact is, before I get down into it, rolling up the sleeves here, getting ready to tell you about more lies and fabrications and uh, just uh, twisted stuff, I think that the story of George Santos is no longer one about just somebody who lied repeatedly, almost obsessively you would say. About his resume, I think he's become like a Zelig character. Do you know that movie? Am I dating myself? You know, a guy who just kind of shows up mysteriously at um, these world historical events. It it is unbelievable. There has just been an explosion of coverage about this. So let's dive right in. Story number one. Okay, so here, just to give you why I'm sort of going off, seem to be going off on a different tangent, um, is some reporting by Yasher Ali that says the following about Congressman-elect George Santos. As I've mentioned, if you haven't been following it, maybe you just got back home uh, from a vacation, this is a guy who has been elected to a district in Long Island and part of Queens, Republican, who claimed his mother died in the September 11th attacks. But five months later, tweeted that she died in December of 2016. So, which is it, Mr. Santos? Did she die horribly with, you know, almost 3,000 other Americans on that terrible day in our history? 9, 11, 01? Or did she just die naturally? Or of some disease or just, you know, um, some 15 years later? So... Yashir Ali found these tweets from 2021 and posted them as uh, screenshots. Um, Santos first tweeted, 9-11 claimed my mother's life. So I'm blocking so I don't ever have to read this again, somebody had. So Santos was responding to some lunatic who said 9-11 was a victimist crime. And Santos wrote... 9-11 claimed my mother's life, so I'm blocking this person so I don't ever have to read this again. And then comes the, you know, shot chaser five months later. December 23rd, again, 2016. This marks five years I lost my best friend and mentor. Mom, you will live forever in my heart. So, okay, so in 2016, it's the fifth anniversary of the death. Now, the campaign website of George Santos says, or said, George's mother was in her office in the South Tower of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, when the horrific events of that day unfolded. She survived the tragic events of September 11, but she passed away a few years later when she lost her battle to cancer. Look. Look. Yes, it is true that some people who uh, were at ground zero didn't die in the initial attacks. If you had an office in the South Tower. All right. And it is also true that some people later developed health problems, including cancer. But it's not a few years later. So, given the broad history here, it's enough to make you say, okay, is he exploiting his mother's death? to gain sympathy, I don't know. Now, when you contrast with something that had already come out, but I don't think I've touched on, George Santos has already claimed that he lost four employees in the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. That was in 2016. Horrible, horrible, just god-awful. Um, tragedy 49 people killed however uh, none of the 49 killed appear to be linked to any of Santos's alleged companies so that's why I use the Zelig analogy you know whether it's 9/11 whether it's the pulse shooting you know somehow well he himself doesn't claim to be there he's got a connection it's his mom it's his employees you know and trying to sort of Piggyback on the news? It's not quite the right word. Um, trying to insert himself into a tragic situation uh, to make him appear more human? I, I mean, isn't it just easier to tell the truth? I mean, he had a lot to remember here. And apparently he forgot when he went into the second iteration of, well, she didn't actually die on 9-11, but she was there. I, I, I mean... I don't want to play armchair psychologist, but let's face it, this guy is a serious, serious problem. Now, because what he has said and done falls into this limbo because he's not a member of Congress, but he will be next week unless there's a dramatic change in the situation, you know, right after New Year's, January 3rd, that's the day that the new Congress convenes. But suddenly... George Sanders has got a whole bunch of investigations going after him. So you have the federal investigation. I should just start a scorecard here because it's just hard to keep track. Being run by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn, which covers all of Long Island. Then you have a state investigation. Uh, Nassau County is one of two counties in Long Island. uh, The one closer to New York City. The district attorney's office said it was looking into the numerous fabrications and inconsistencies associated with Congressman-elect Santos during his 2022 campaign. The district attorney, Ann Donnelly, said in a statement that Santos's fabrications are, quote, nothing short of stunning. And in case you are wondering, Ann Donnelly, as the DA in Nassau, is a Republican. Yep. This is not the case of, you know, some partisan Democrat trying to wreak havoc on the other party. And Newsday, the Long Island paper, was the first to report what Ann Donnelly had said. Um, And other Republicans, although, you know, you have this weird situation with... um, the House GOP leadership, because Kevin McCarthy, as I mentioned yesterday, needs every vote he can get to become Speaker on January 3rd. Still not clear who's the alternative to him. I mean, I know who's running and who's available, but it seems hard. Somebody's got to put together that magic number of 218. But I don't think he wants to be sending this guy packing before he has nailed down the Speaker's job. You know, another possibility is that Santos gets sworn in because he was elected by the people of that district. Admittedly, with a rather incomplete knowledge of his uh, of his actual career and resume. Um, and then there's a move to ex- expel him. But again, you know, I, I think if the Democrats were had held the House, they probably would expel him. I don't think the Republicans will necessarily do that unless all of this gets to be such a huge friggin' national embarrassment that they feel like they don't have any choice. So you have a Republican in the neighboring district, Nick Lolada. He just won his race. He called for an investigation by the House Ethics Committee. The GOP chairman in Nassau County, Joseph Cairo, said he expected more than just a blanket apology from Santos. And wait, there's more. CNN publishing a story saying that George Santos appears to have used a fake name forgive me if I'm not falling off my chair at this point a fake name to host a GoFundMe for an alleged pet charity. Santos deleted his former private Facebook account last week but CNN reviewed records indicating he used the alias of Anthony Zabrowski we're fundraising for a pet charity. The GoFundMe page under that alias no longer exists. Um, and there's some question whether Zabrowski is the name of one of his grandparents and did that name get changed after the Holocaust? But then he kind of backed off the Holocaust claim. I mean, it, I'm like, it's a, it's a fog. It's a fog of political war. I don't know what's true what's not anymore. Um, but I do know that he claimed on on the campaign trail and on his website to have started a animal rescue operation as a nonprofit. But if you're a nonprofit, it's called five hundred one C three, in IRS terms. You got to go to the IRS and get certified, and there was no record of that. Finally, uh, George Sanders claimed to have been on a panel on private equity, one of those conferences run by Anthony Scaramucci. You know who's remembered by most people for his. 11 days of service in the Trump White House, but, you know, was a very hugely successful businessman then and now. Um, Scaramucci told CNN the claim is entirely fictional, uh, Both, uh, according to both Goldman Sachs, which has said Santos never worked there, and Scaramucci, who runs the conference. He said there was no record of him appearing on a panel and no record of him even attending the conference, period. Okay. So here's a little uh, sidebar thingy Um, in the New York Times. Prominent Democrats have also embellished their resume. You notice I did not use that word for Santos because it's so far beyond (laughs) embellishments. I mean, this is sick. It's really sick stuff. Uh, And so there's a bunch of people, you know, who are pretty low profile who've done this, uh, you know, claim to have gotten an advanced degree or, you know, exaggerated their rank in the military and so forth. But just uh, to give you the flavor of it, Joe Biden... Uh, admitted that he had overstated his academic record in the 1980s. I exaggerate when I'm angry, he said. Well, if I could use that as an excuse, I can say anything the hell I want. Um, Hillary Clinton said she misspoke, to say the least, 2008 when she talked about dodging sniper fire on an airport tarmac during a 1996 conference when she was first lady uh, to visit Bosnia. I guess she wasn't actually dodging the bullets, as she later miraculously remembered. And Elizabeth Warren apologized after a long, torturous period of not apologizing, as I recall, when she was running for president in 2019 for her past claims of Native American ancestry. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, let's move on to some other stuff here on the podcast number two. This is deja vu all over again, but the Biden administration announcing yesterday that travelers from China, as well as Hong Kong and Macau, must must present a negative COVID test before entering the U.S. Takes effect uh, next week. CDC is asking for this because of the surge of cases in China. Can I just pause here for a second and say that It is very clear that we cannot trust anything, anything that comes out of the mouths of Chinese officials on this question of COVID. I mean, they have claimed that they locked down the country, not just in this most recent um, surge, which led to street protests, which led to the country with the world's biggest population um, backing off and easing some of the restrictions, which it seemed like President Xi would never do. But suddenly you're seeing footage of overcrowded hospitals and craziness there. So all those years when China claimed, you know, we, all, we only had three people infected, I mean, you know, it's not a trustworthy regime, and that's the understatement of this young century. So anybody, you know, it doesn't matter if you're coming from China or if you were an American visiting there or whatever, if you've been in China, where obviously there's a... However much they are admitting that there's a COVID surge, it's probably far, far worse in reality. And it's a fast-spreading Omicron variant, sub-variant, XBB. Well, I don't want to get XBB, so... it just, But doesn't it remind you of the early days when there were all these countries uh, that were on these lists? If you're on... The, the, you know, It wasn't even that long ago. I mean, maybe a year, year and a half ago, there were still countries where... Americans wouldn't let you in or the country wouldn't let you out if you didn't show that you had a COVID test. And it was hard to find. It's like you had to find it in the 24 hours before you got on your plane. So an unwelcome reminder of the past. Uh, Oh, videos obtained by The New York Times show sick patients crowding hospital hallways. Situation is difficult to track because China does not release reliable COVID data. Lifted the policy uh, just earlier this month, which actually made the Chinese Communist Party back down. And now we see the explosion of cases. Oh, here's a little side note on this. Uh, Huffington Post, which loves to beat up on Ted Cruz, says, well, you know, he either has a bad memory or likes being humiliated. That's the only reasonable explanation for why he attempted to mock President Biden for vacationing in the U.S. Virgin Islands, while much of the U.S. is plagued by a frigid winter storm. You may recall that the senator from Texas uh, himself came under fire. This was in February of 21, when he jetted off to Cancun, avoiding the power outages that had plagued his state when Texas was just, you know, had all kinds of people, frigid weather, without power. It was an awful situation. So... It's funny, the reason I real, uh, I know just watching TV this morning that President Biden and his family are in or are, are going to be, about to be in much sure of the timing, in the Virgin Islands is I saw one of the reporters doing a live shot from St. Croix. And, you know, nice vacation spot if you can get it. I don't criticize presidents who work hard for wanting to get some time with their family around Christmas time. I never said, oh, you know, Donald Trump spends too much time at Mar-a-Lago. You're always president. You're always having to deal with crises that come up. You're never really off the clock. And Biden, you know, and I guess Republicans, I mean, George Bush had a ranch, reporters didn't particularly love, because uh, they were stationed at some town far in Texas, far away from the Bush ranch. And, uh, you know, Barack Obama either would go to Hawaii or he would stay with friends at Martha's Vineyard. So there are always raise questions with Democrats who don't have uh, their own vacation home. Joe Biden does have one, but it's Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, not quite as glamorous, I suppose, than going to St. Croix. So reporters are always happy when, uh, you know, if you're the one drawing the pool duty uh, and um, you get to go on these trips, it's better than being in Lubbock. I remember Lubbock, Texas, being where a lot of the press was stationed to be in St. Croix. I've never been to St. Croix, but from the pictures this morning, it looks lovely. Number three, Whoopi Goldberg gets into trouble for the exact same thing that got her suspended from The View. Now, if you go through one of these cycles where you say something that's dumb or insensitive or offensive or regrettable, and you apologize and you get kicked off your show, you would think you wouldn't go there again. So Whoopi is doing some press in the UK, and she's interviewed by the Times of London. And somehow, I don't know if the reporter raised it, but it comes back to the question of the Holocaust and whether or not Jews could be considered a race. That was her thing. Oh, just two groups of white people, you know, they're not and you know, you can't necessarily tell a Jew standing on the street. Well, you can't necessarily tell a gay person standing on the street, and yet we have laws. Understandably about hate crimes aimed at LGBTQ members and the same would apply to, you know, somebody who attacks a synagogue or where it's clearly something that is anti-Semitic. So in this Times of London interview, she said, remember who they were killing first. They were not killing racial. They were killing physical. They were killing people they considered to be mentally defective. And then she made a joke. She said, you know, the reaction was overblown. Uh, It was like I'd taken a big old stinky dump. On live TV. Okay, let's just say there's a bit of backlash and Whoopi gave out a a statement to The Hollywood Reporter saying the following. I was asked about my comments from earlier this year. Uh, I was trying to convey to the reporter what I had said and why and, and attempted to recount that time. I had no intention of making it appear as if I was doubling down on hurtful comments, especially after hearing people like rabbis, and old and new friends weighing in. So she was getting kicked around over this a second time. I believe the Holocaust was about race, and I am still as sorry now as I was then that I upset, hurt, and angered people. My sincere apologies again, especially to everyone who thought this was a fresh rehash of the subject. I promise it was not. In the a time of rising anti-Semitism, I stand with Jewish people and so forth. Okay. I just don't know how somebody who's been the public eye for so many decades as a commentator, as an actress, as a person, could fall into this trap again. Uh, You know, you get asked by a reporter, you say, look, I already dealt with that. Uh, I'm sorry for what I said. I said that at the time. And you don't provide the fresh fodder. She understands that now, but, I mean, wow. Okay, number four. I do want to get to the travel nightmare here. So let's start with Buffalo. Uh, you know, this is no longer me saying, hey, you know, I really feel sorry for the people who got hit with this monster, you know, once in a generation blizzard uh, because I spent four years there as a college student and I know the place pretty well. And I visited a bunch of times after graduating. But Washington Post has a piece that looks makes it look like Buffalo really screwed up big time. And that's ironic because obviously it's a city that gets a lot of snow and is very practiced at snow removal and, you know, keeping things Functioning As opposed to here in D.C. where if it snows an inch, you know, they close all the schools. Um, so you got to get into the politics here because Buffalo is a Democratic city, one time steel town. And the mayor there, Byron Brown, who barely won re-election last time. He lost the Democratic primary, but then ran as a write-in candidate, I believe. And he's still the mayor, African-American who couldn't capture his own party's nomination. In any event, Buffalo is part of Erie County, which is usually, you know, which includes the suburbs and is usually more Republican. At least the parts of that are not within the city limits. And Mark uh went after the city leaders and the mayor for being disengaged and saying that the county had to take over cleanup in one third of Buffalo and had discussed with state officials the possibility of assuming responsibility for all the plowing within city limits in the future. We have an elected officials call every morning, uh, said Paul on I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. And the city of Buffalo was not on it. The mayor is not going to be happy to hear about it, but storm after storm after storm, the city, unfortunately, is the last one to be open, and that shouldn't be the case. It's embarrassing, to tell you the truth. Brown came back and said, look, people are working around the clock since the beginning of this storm. Some people handle that pressure a lot differently. Some keep working. Some keep trying to help the residents of our community. And some break down and lash out. So, you know, in one sense, it's a typical, I remember these battles in New York between John Lindsay and Nelson Rockefeller. You know, you often have a lot of finger-pointing and blame-shifting between a big city mayor and the surrounding county. Um, But it does look like, there was a real serious question about what Buffalo did or did not do to get ready for this storm. And, you know, unfortunately, there has been, I think it was 17 deaths in Buffalo and 26 or 27, if you include Erie County, uh, and some people were just discovered dead in the snow. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Now, at the same time, don't worry, disgusting, despicable, and heartbreaking, the Buffalo Police Commissioner says they're dealing with lots of reports of looting because there's no, you know, when the when rescue vehicles can't even get out to save people in their cars, there's no defense. I mean, the stores are kind of defenseless. And in a lot of places, uh, says this commish, the shelves, the cash registers, things have been absolutely destroyed. It's uncalled for. It's disgusting, to be perfectly honest. So, It's just, you know, there are racial overtones here. There's big city versus suburbs. Uh, But the bottom line is Buffalo did not have in place, even given the fact you got to cut them some slack because uh, it's such an awful and rare storm. And people talk about the blizzard of 77, but this, I think, sounds like it's worse. Um, So there's an attempt to hold Buffalo accountable, and there's also an attempt to shift blame. And so now you have both the county executive and the mayor going at it. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Which leads me very smoothly into story number five and Southwest Airlines. First of all, I can't believe we're still talking about Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines canceled nearly 5,000 flights. That would be... Yesterday and today, trying to recover from this internal meltdown and talk about being unprepared. Um, so, you, you know how there's often a whistleblower before there's a big tragedy. Oh, you know, I told them uh, that if they did this, it wouldn't work. So, wh- what do you know? Here's a memo from uh, somebody who worked Southwest. December 21st, internal company memo. That's just a week ago. Highlighting a worker shortage in Denver, which is a major Southwest airport, and was pounded by the storm. So, at all the other airlines are sort of trying to get back to normal. Uh, Southwest accounted for 90% of the flight cancellations yesterday and 99% of the flights grounded today is almost unbelievable. And so it's just fascinating to me that the memo was sent out and yet at Southwest more than 60% of Wednesday scheduled flights were scrubbed. I, I, I think the reason is they don't have enough staff to fly the airplanes. It's not that the airplanes can't fly or are damaged and then there's this ripple effect because it hits other airports that Southwest is a heavy user of, including uh, Chicago's Midway, Love Field in Dallas, Baltimore-Washington International. And then those people are displaced and have to find, you know, efforts or ways to rebook. Southwest VP declared a state of operational emergency because of an unusually high number of absences uh, for Denver-based employees, including sick calls and personal days for afternoon and evening shifts, according to this memo obtained by the Washington Post. So now I'm getting the idea that some people just didn't want to work that week and called in sick, or, oh, I'm going to take a personal day, at a time when the airline was most vulnerable because you had the collision of two things, this horrible winter weather that paralyzed many cities, particularly in the Midwest, and the usual surge in end-of-year holiday travel. The memo said that employees alleging illness needed a doctor's note on the first day back to work that supported their claim of a sick day. Failure to do so could result in their being fired because of abuse of sick leave policy and insubordination. Um, This guy, Chris Johnson, the VP at Southwest, said the company would deny requests for personal days off. Workers would be required to work overtime uh, they deny the airline was short staffed before the storm, but I think what happened is you know a lot of you know to talk about doing these things now, a lot of people who work for Southwest Airlines let down their company, let down their passengers, and in a way let down their country. You know, I mean every business has a time when it's all hands on deck, crisis mode. You got to work. You do overtime. You work long shifts. Because you're expected to do that. It's true in journalism. It's true in a lot of industries. It's true if you're working for a small grocery store. And, and there's a big storm, and you know, a lot of elderly people rely on that store to open so they can get food. Um, so, you know, I mean, this will this will all permanently mar the image of Southwest Airlines. There's no getting around it. It had a pretty good reputation, and this is a disaster. Well, with that. Got some other things I need to attend to, but always delighted to share this time with you. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes or lots of other places where you don't get the ads. You just hear me. What could be better than that? We'll see you folks tomorrow with more BuzzBeater. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.